With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today we're delighted to welcome Billy Bean, the A's Vice President of Baseball Operations, who will talk to us about the team's first half and being in first place, the outlook for the second half and the trade deadline, and as always, we somehow managed to bring up the Josh Donaldson trade. Did you have any trepidation as things were getting underway here? What what have your impressions been so far? Actually, I think, uh, you know what, I think, you know, considering the challenges that we face, I think uh, everyone baseball has done a really good job with getting the season started. We're almost halfway through. I think in particular, our guys, in particular, our medical staff have been unbelievable. Uh, you know, with Nick and uh, Tony, who's been helping him, Tony Leo been helping. I think that the entire staff has done an amazing job. And quite frankly, the players have too. Our players, I think, have really been ad- adhered to, uh, you know, following the protocol I'm pretty proud of the way they have reacted to this whole thing. And, you know, a lot of that comes from leadership. I think, you know, Marcus, who's who's uh, the player rep, but also been kind of the point man for the entire club and the, and the liaison for myself and David and everybody. He's been fantastic. And so, uh, I, you know, you know, there, there's there's been, you know, a few teams that have had some issues. Uh, but I think under the circumstances, I think everything's gone really, really well. And I think baseball has responded and reacted really well. Listen, this was – you know, we were drinking from a fire hose when this thing started. I mean, you know, from baseball and I guess MLS, you know, our seasons were just getting ready to start when this whole pandemic hit. So we literally had to just so many things on the fly. You know, we didn't have five, six months to prepare like, uh, like say the NFL did does. And uh, so I'm pretty proud of the fact we're pretty proud of the way our team and our organization has responded so far and, and I think baseball's done a really good job under very difficult circumstances. Were there times where you thought there, there's just no way that, that, that we can pull this off? I did at the beginning before we started you know when we first got the 100, uh, 106 page protocol the manual I looked through it and I went oh my gosh how every day is just, it's just going to be this is just going to be so so much of a burden on the staff on the players and everybody around but you know, uh, everyone's kind of adjusted, and if, if we fall, you know, I'm, you know, even when the team's out on the road, you know, I've got the schedule for testing. I'm, I'm going in there telling my wife, hey, I got to run into the stadium to do my testing. You know, I think uh, what it looked like was going to be very daunting and, and almost impossible on paper. I think in reality, uh, we've been able to do a really good job and pulled it off, and uh, so far, cross my fingers. And uh, it's it's pretty impressive. And again, I give credit to baseball uh, for doing what seemed to be impossible, and and to particular our organization, they've just done an incredible job. But, you know, and these are names that you know, Susan, but that's the public doesn't know. And you know, people like Dave Renetti, you know, and, and even the clubhouse kids, you know, Mikey and Brian and Boose, with uh, you know just the meals. Now we're serving meals outside because it's a safer environment, and and they've really had to completely do things so much differently than they've ever done. And in Moose's case that he's done for 40, 50 years, you know, almost 
so again, uh, I, I again to, to answer your question again, I, I at the beginning I was going, wow, how are we going to be able to do this? But I, I I think we've done a great job, and I, I think baseball gets a lot of credit for giving us a template and our guys for carrying it out. Yeah, that's that seems about spot on from what I've seen so far. Now, uh, we've seen you a little bit during games, kind of spotted you coming out and checking things out. What are your what are your impressions during the actual games with no fans there and the cutouts and the piped in sounds and all of that? Well, I kind of the other day, I think I saw you, Susan. I think it was that same day, and I heard the fake crowd, and it was almost like a real game where I was kind of running out to the field to see what happened. You know, running <laughs> a TV set because it kind of fooled me. You know, we're like you, we're all adjusting. It's a little different. Uh, it's yeah, but it's you know, once the game starts, I I get the same feelings, you know, and I get the same sort of nervousness and situations, and I think the quality of play hasn't been impacted at all. Uh, listen, I think like everybody, I, I sit there, I think on a, a great, you know, on a weekend, you know, you're, you know, you're say playing the angels and what should have been like, this should be the end of the year. There should be a, you know, big crowd in the stands because, you know, we're say in first place and it should be a great day and our kids and family should be out there. So I miss that like everybody else. But as far as once the game starts, uh, you know, Mikey will usually bring Mikey Thalboom will bring up a meal for all of us in the suite, and uh, and we'll we'll eat that and uh, get the game going, and and you know we're adjusting. It's it's not ideal, but uh, uh, but the game. I think the quality of the game. I think the player intensity. Sometimes I'll see the players like throw. As you've seen, the players will come off the field. They'll throw like a ball into the stands, and it'll it goes to like a, it looks like it's going to like a real person because those cardboard cutouts it'll kind of deep me a little bit uh but uh but again it's sad that the fans aren't here uh but the, i think the quality of play has been good and it, let's put it this way it's a lot better having baseball than not having it yeah that's that's for darn sure yeah i, I think one of my favorite things has been watching matt chapman trying to dent the cardboard cutouts and he hasn't been able to if he can't i don't think anybody can so <laughs> well you know a funny one was like, like one of our one of the guys who works with us, uh, Ben Lowry, who's really bright young guy who works in the office with us. He's a really great guy. He's really funny. He's smart as a whip, too. He's really street smart. I always accuse him of being too street smart. And he was, he's, you know, he's sitting in the suite next to us with Pike Goldschmidt. And, and, but when Pujols was coming up, he was strategically going out to left field because I think uh, uh, Pujols is on uh, next home run is 660, which is, I forget who it ties. Uh, which, you know, becomes a pretty special ball. And I kind of, you know, I, I knew he was going out there, so he'd be the one to get Pujols' ball. So I kind of asked him, I said, so what did you plan on doing with this? Were you planning on just handing it over to Albert, or were you going to, was there, you know, any sort of uh, benefit you're going to get? And he kind of sheepishly says, no, 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 I'll, I'll just give it to him. But I just thought it was funny that there's no crowd, so he could just, he was running out there to left field, you know, because uh, if Pujols hit the homer, that was going to be, a, you know, a, a, a ball worth something to somebody. But he was going to give it to uh, Pools. He's a great kid. I just thought it was pretty, pretty smart of him, which is it doesn't surprise me with Ben. Yeah, I think he's he's one shy of Mays. I think so. Yeah, that's uh, that, yeah, it was Mays. That's right. I think it's Mays. Yeah, yeah it's so Mays. that's yeah, that's pretty yeah. pretty significant. So smart exactly. thinking by Ben. But oh oh well, yeah. you don't see the Angels again now, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Ben's smart like that. But you know, a situation like that, you know, you know, you could never do that during the regular season, right? So uh, so I guess that's one of the few things that's good, at least from Ben's end. Yeah. Now, the main storyline coming into this abbreviated season was the fact that your, your team tends to get off to terrible starts, um, but finishes strong. And how would that 
kind of jibe with a season that uh, you can't afford to get off to a bad start, but also is starting in, in essentially the second half. And it's turned out, even though the, they came out a little bit slowly out of the gate, they really took off. What, what have your impressions been here at essentially the halfway mark? Yeah, well, again, I was sort of worried based on our history, but again, you know, that history really wasn't necessarily these teams, but uh, but certainly the last couple of years, even 18 and 19, we didn't exactly, you know, start, you know, right out of the gate. So, but I think the awareness helped a lot. I think the other thing that helped us coming into this year was we, we basically had, you know, the core of our team coming back. So there wasn't, you know, a tremendous amount of changes. So I, I think that helped us a little bit. I think Bob and his staff did a tremendous job. You know, listen, when this thing started, us in Cleveland and I think Theo in Chicago, we were really aggressive about shutting down camps, right? You know, to the point where, I mean, I think, you know, some of the players weren't happy that we weren't, you know, allowing access. And maybe it was, you know, the safety of all of our employees, including our players, was our number one issue. And the fact that we were able to sort of, you know, I think be very careful and very sort of respectful given the pandemic and then come out and be as prepared I think was, again, it's a credit to Bob and his staff because, you know, we kept in touch with Bob and he kept in touch with the email and the pitchers. And, and in their own, you know, sort of off, off-site way, they were able to stay prepared. And uh, when we got into camp, I think that that helped a lot. And, uh, and so, you know, and I, you know, Chappie even said we, we opened a little later and that wasn't because, you know, the A's wanted to open up later. It was just because, you know, we're, we're dealing with different rules in different counties and, and that's the quickest we could. And so, uh, you know, to get through all that and, and start out like this is good, you know, because, listen, the, you, you can't afford to get off to a slow start uh, in a 60-game season. And, and this, I'm guessing, this is certainly, I think, since I've been in the baseball office, it's probably the best start we've had since I've been here. That, that's that's for sure. Yeah, and 29 games in and, and the best record in the American League, it's, uh, you've got to be thrilled with that. What have you felt like the, the team does best besides hitting walk-off grand slams? <laughs> Oof. Uh, you know, the bullpen, in fact, I think, I, first of all, one of the new rules I love, I love the runner second base. I'm sure you do, too, as far as deadlines are concerned, too. Uh, they're just, I, you know, that was just the extra inning games. Unless you're an eight-year-old with a radio under his pole and wants the game to go on all night, they're just, the, the attrition rate on pitchers just was never good. So I love the start, the runner on second base rule. And I think it's helped that we've got had a real good bullpen. I mean, when you can bring in a guy like, you know, Liam with a runner in second and he can strike guys out, that's a huge advantage. And I think that, uh, I think our bullpen has, has helped us in, in that respect. And our bullpen's been, what, first or second in the game. I think Dodgers are one. I think we're number two. Yeah. And so I think that that's really, really been a, it's really helped us a lot. And, uh, and you know, that's even, we've lost Birch Smith, who was a really a asset for us early on and he gave us multiple innings. It, uh, sure would be nice to still have him, but, uh, our bullpen is, is really, I wouldn't say surprise me, but uh, I think it's been an advantage for us. Yeah, I know bullpens can kind of be a little bit hard to project from year to year, as we've found out probably each of the last two years with you guys. Um, the fact that Liam has continued really the dominance he showed last year when out of nowhere he became an all-star closer. I, I've been asking people recently, like, is he somebody, especially in an abbreviated season, where bullpens are probably more important than they might be over 162 because the pitchers just aren't going as, starting pitchers aren't going as deep into games. Is he somebody that potentially should be considered, if he continues on this trajectory, considered for postseason honors like Cy Young, MVP, things like that? And the numbers are eye-popping. 
Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, yeah, normally with relievers, you know, they have to be, I mean, so elite, you know, uh, to be considered. I think, you know, Eck won it one year, I believe, and Willie Hernandez, I think, with the Tigers won it. Uh, didn't Eck? Yeah, yeah, I thought Eck won. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, but I know Willie Hernandez won it. And so, whew, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, and you, you make a good point, Susan. I, I think that, uh, especially with a new rule, too, going back yeah. to what I said, with a new rule that we have, you know, if you know, I think what are we four or five and zero oh in extra inning games? Is five it, now, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, five and zero. Oh. And I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but every one of those games, I believe Liam's pitched in, right? I, th- I believe so. At least, yeah, my one. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's certainly it's most of them. And so I think situations like that give greater weight, you know, in a shortened season to a you know a reliever or somebody like Liam, you know, having a case for Cy Young, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so again, that, it creates a unique, you know, this new rule creates a unique opportunity for relievers to show even greater value. And I think in Liam's case, that that that's happened this year for us. I think having a hand in five wins, just the extra inning games, that's that's you know that's twenty five percent of your win total right now. And that's not counting the other ones he's been a part of too. That's so. extraordinary. Yeah. The other rule change, um, the three batter minimum, went into effect this year too. And it seems like it, the front office did a very nice job when it came to left-handed relievers acquiring T.J. McFarlane and, and re-signing Jake Diekman. Between the two of them, uh, I don't know how superstitious you are, but in I think it's 22 and two-thirds innings so far, the two of them have combined to allow only one run, which is, uh, considering that new rule, I think even a little more surprising. Yeah, and, and again, the uh, you know, it's funny. I even, Because of the type of pitchers we have in the bullpen now, we don't really have that one like pure specialist to face one guy, you know you know, lefty or something like that. And because we don't, I don't even notice that rule this year. And it was one that I think everyone was a little bit worried about as it related to certain guys. But because of the construction of, of our bullpen and the type of guys who went in there, like McFarlane, you know, he's got a sinker ball. and He's he's a guy that can be just as effective against, you know, righties. And, you know, Deakman throws, so, you know, can be dominating. It's just those 95, 96. So, uh, you know, we felt comfortable with him facing righties as much as lefties too. So uh, it was by design a little bit. I think, you know, most teams in particular want, would like to get away from that, like one batter guy. That's quite a spot to take in your bullpen to have one, you know, a guy that faces one or two hitters. That's just, it's tough uh, in, in today's world. So, uh, so again, the, the bullpen was, it was by design. And uh, it's it's helped a lot too. Again, to the point where I didn't even, I haven't even noticed the three battle rules that applies to us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not even a consideration for you guys, really. Now, I was going to ask you about sort of surprises on the team, and and had Birch Smith not gotten injured, it's certainly he might have been at the top of the list. You guys probably aren't surprised by Robbie Grossman and what he's been doing, but wow, he he seems to me like he's really starting to come into his own, and now he's essentially an almost everyday player. He's still he's still doing a little bit of platooning. But in that sixth spot, when he's in there, he's really producing. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, it's funny. I even thought last year, to some extent, Robbie was kind of taken for granted. I mean, here was a guy who was nominated for a gold glove. You know, he was very important to us because we're pretty right-handed heavy and having that left-handed mm-hmm. bat. But I thought he, we, you know, we thought he had a really good solid year last year. And, uh, and so for him to do what he's doing now, to take it to another level, uh, is it's great to see because uh, he, he again he's I think he's been sort of unsung a little bit I don't I don't even think last year he got enough credit uh, for what he did and even now you know even now where he hits you know given I think his OPS is over a thousand I think he's buried somewhere in the sixth spot you know behind uh, 
than Cannon and stuff like that. Bob, I think, likes to hide him and split, you know, have, have the lineup split him up with Olsen and stuff like that. But uh, I'd have Cannon in between them. But, yeah, he's 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 taken it to another level this year. It's been good to see. It's well-deserved. He just – Bobby just kind of shuts his mouth and goes and plays. And, you know, he's just a very consistent performer. Uh, you kind of know what you're going to get. Uh, and, uh, you're, you know, you're always going to get great effort. And just, again, I think some people we kind of take for granted how important he's been for us the last couple of years. Yeah, two other guys that seem like they're taking bigger steps all the time, and I, I'm sure you won't be surprised that I mention. Um, Loriano seems like he keeps getting better, although he's been a, a little bit rusty since he came off of suspension. And then Mark Canna, who puts together as good and at bad as I, I think we've seen here, really, and just every year seems to uh, understand himself and what he's trying to do more and more. Yeah, you know what, I... That's... It's funny. I uh, I think I saw Bob. You know, uh, in post game, I think you might have even asked a question about Cannon's sacrifice fly. He's he really slows the game down. He does a good job, and he's very calm. You know, he's got very much. Every time he does something, he's got a plan. But I was thinking yes, because I passed Mark yesterday. It's funny when when Loriano made that play. Well, it's not worth hearing the details. I actually happened to be walked down through the hall after Loriano made that play where he came in and the pop up and got the guy second. And I passed Canna, and I, and I started thinking, I said, you know, like, you know, this is my 23rd year here, and there's certainly some transactions I'm not as proud of and some that I'm very, very proud of, but one I think David and I are really proud of, and doesn't really get, you know, it was Canna. I yeah. mean, just he's been such a good player for us, and he's been here a long time. I mean, uh, I mean, we I think we acquired Mark in the offseason 15, yeah, after the 14 seasons mm-hmm. when we acquired him, and we, we traded for him at Rule 5. And each year he's he had the hip problem he missed that one year, but he's gotten better and better every single year. He plays he can play first, he can play third in a pinch, he plays all three outfield positions, and he plays a, a very more than decent center field uh, to the point where you could play him out there every day with no problem. And uh, he's just really turned into a really really good player. And, you know, a little bit like Grossman, too. He's got a very consistent demeanor and personality that he brings to the park and very workmanlike, and, and uh, it's just a great example. And he's the guy, like, to your point, he, you want him up in the big situations because you know he has a plan. And, uh, you know, to see him get a sacrifice fly yesterday, I mean, you didn't need a hit. You needed exactly what he did, and uh, no surprise he came through. But he's, he's really an underrated player, not just, you know, with us, but I think in the entire league. Yeah. The, the Loriano transaction, too, is one that at the time went under the radar. I've written about it extensively since because it obviously would wound up being so important and was kind of a steal at this point. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he seemed, you know, he, he was the spark plug, really, for the first essentially three weeks to a month of the season until his suspension. Yeah. And, and Ramon, yeah, well, it, you know, the sneaky one on that one was we really wanted Ramon the year before, and we were lucky to take advantage of Houston having so too many good players for the roster, quite frankly. And we caught him at a time when they needed roster space, and he was coming off a, 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 an injury year and a poor year by his standards. And so we just got lucky in a little window. You know, weirdly, I was like, there's always got to be an interview that I always get to bring up Josh Donaldson and what a wonderful trade I made there. Yeah, I was hoping that uh, you would bring it up so I didn't have to. (laughs) Oh, I bring it up every every time. Yeah, so... uh, uh, it's it's my own therapy. The more I talk about it, the, the uh, so so. But anyway, but the same with Josh. We acquired Josh because uh, then I get this. See, this is my way of reminding everybody that I actually traded for it one time. That's true. You did get it away. to start off with. Yeah. See, so this is really Machiavelli and me just to bring it up. Oh, by the way, we did trade for him. But uh, when Josh, we loved Josh out of the out of the draft at Auburn, and uh, he got 
you know, paper right, you know, right before we were going to take him, make a long story short, we literally, he raked everywhere in the minor leagues except for basically like a two month period when we got him that year in the, during the Harden deal. I think it was, was that 07 maybe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, was that 07? Jeez. Uh, and, and, uh, I think that's the year we got him. And it was just like this one time in Josh's life that he didn't hit, you know, 330 was then. And that's when we uh, got him. And that was kind of with Loriana. What I, I don't really, you know, Houston's too smart. I don't feel like we picked their pocket. We just got lucky that they had too many good players yeah. and, and, and they were, you know, they needed to clear some spots. And so, uh, so we're the benefactor. And Ramon's great because he brings us a lot of people don't know. And you know, Susan, because, you, well, normally you're around the team more, but he brings a, a little bit of a swashbuckler personality <laughs> and he's really funny and he's got, he's got a lot of charisma to him that, you know, you see when you see him play, but when you're around him, personally too he's he's one of the guys that i really enjoy kind of going back and forth with he's a really really good kid he's funny and self-confident and just just great to have on the team we'll be back in just a moment with more with billy bean and here's a reminder you can find much more on the oakland days at sfchronicle.com and to subscribe go to sfchronicle.com slash pod getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You've got another former Astro now, one of the few new guys in the, in the team. What, do, what have your impressions been of uh, Tony and, and what he's been giving you at, at second base, Tony Kemp? Tony's been great. And I, I love deals like Tony because it, but the great thing is if we have a good team, it's fun to find those little small moves that you know are going to fit perfectly. And, and that was the case with Tony. We called pretty early. I think I called – I might have called – I might have called Theo maybe in August – on Tony uh, Kemp and uh, you know because you know Cubs have an infield glut and and you know with some of the guys ahead over there and we were able to get him during the winter uh, you know it took us a couple months though but you just looking at you know we're going through things you just knew he was going to be like uh, just exactly what we needed uh, you know he hit left-handed he got on base he played good defense and not only that it also uh, he still because he plays so many positions he, you know, like for, like for instance, we draft a machine. You know, it still gives an opportunity possibly for machine, though he hasn't played much because Tony's been so good over there, especially defensively. And it also still kind of gives an opportunity. I know it hasn't turned out this way, but it still didn't completely close the door on Franklin Barreto either. Uh, they're just a guy like Tony. Was a, those are fun deals because you just know his skill sets, what he does, just really was going to fit our team perfectly. And to start the transaction, you know, early in at least the conversation, at least internally for us, it really happened at the end of last summer. We, we were thinking about it then. And to get him and have him turn out to, uh, to be, you know, everything we had hoped for is great. He's a great guy, too. You know, he brings a lot of – he brings personality to the club. And and just, uh, again, he's been a perfect fit for us. And uh, that, those are fun. when what, what looks like a little move 
but you know internally for us we knew it was a big move and i think i think he's been you know more than we could have asked for yeah yeah and again as, as considering how right-handed heavy you guys are really really uh, extra important uh again you did this you brought up franklin barreto so we go back to the donaldson deal he's the last guy you guys have from the donaldson deal and he's barely playing what do you see as his future with the team or is he somebody that with the trade deadline coming up I, there's always been interest in him out there could you see moving him yeah, no, I and mean, it's it's tough. You know, that's it's you got a, a talent like Franklin, but you 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 know, listen, a normal situation. But I, you, at times, I feel bad for the kid because the best way for a young player to really acclimate and become a major league player is just to get thrown in there and get to play every day. But you you know, with us, we're balancing. We have a very very good team, and we have you know, you take a guy like Tony, who's a you know a proven capable major league player. Uh, and you, you know, you, there's certain things you can count on, and Bob can count on. And uh, was a guy like, you know, the balance is, is like trying to win today's game, and also trying to develop a player. And, and you know, so far Franklin's really been caught up through no fault of his own on that whole thing. And and I and it's tough. I mean, and even Machine, I'll, I'll put him in there too. I, I really like Machine a lot too. The young kid we took in the Rule Five, but the team's playing so well that uh, you know it's hard to just throw the kid in there and. and uh, at the risk of, you know, maybe not winning every single game or, or that, you you know, because there's so few games in the season. So, so in Franklin's case, listen, we still think he's, he's going to be a great major league player. He, he deserves the opportunity to play on a regular basis so that he can become that player. We just haven't had that opportunity yet because other guys have, you know, shown that they're, they're better fits on a daily basis. That being said, you know, anything can happen as it relates to his future. I mean, in some sense, you know, well, Franklin's out of options. So he's either on our major league team or somebody else's major league team. Either, you know, uh, he finishes out the year with us. We do have the trade deadline coming up. Um, but if for some reason we get through this uh, this year and Franklin's still with us, uh, then we'll get to uh, try it again next spring, you know, and it kind of get, extends us another year. But again, I, we, I feel bad for the kid because he's a great kid. And uh, and the staff loves him. They love his talent, but he just is not. You know, it's, it's I know personally. I, mean, I, I was certainly wasn't as good as Franklin Barreto, but it is really hard to become a major league player when you're batting once every week. It's almost impossible. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the. I asked about a lot of the team's strengths. Obviously, there's there's one probably I, w- I would say even he would say a disappointment with Chris Davis. He hasn't bounced back the way uh, he had hoped. Everyone had hoped. What do, what do you see going on with with Chris? Um, certainly, he was not the same last year after the injuries. Yeah, no, it. Uh, yeah, I know it's been frustrating for Chris, especially. You know, the thing about Chris is that he has so much pride, and you feel you know you you just can he, he wears it when he knows he's not doing well. I mean. Because I've been around guys, you know, for the 23 years that, you know, they'll they'll sort of make a scene when, you know, they're not either playing or something's not going right. That has not been Chris. I think Chris feels like, you know, when he's not playing well that, you know, that he's letting the team down. And uh, and in some sense, it's a little bit like we talked about with Franklin. You know, I think had we had a 162-game season, you know, you just kind of let the thing play out and eventually – you know, hope things get righted because you've got plenty of season to play with. With a shortened season, you know, we've had to have a little shorter leash on anybody who's not sort of performing. And, and you know, certainly lately Chris hasn't been in there regularly against right-handers. But Bob, as you can see, Bob's still 
likes to give him every opportunity he can. But again, we, we don't, uh, you know, he wants to make sure that we focus on today's game because today's game, one game, if, if you ever look at the playoff odds and fan graphs, it, it can shift pretty dramatically with just a couple wins and a couple losses. And so, uh, it, again, it's a balance between trying to get Chris right and also recognizing that we need to win every game we can. Uh, but I know it, it's it's been frustrating for him, frustrating for all of us because we always, we, you know, we play the what if game as well as we're playing now. You know, what if Chris was Chris? You know, mm-hmm. uh, it shows you how much better we'd be, and I, you know, that hope is still there, but nobody wants it more than Chris himself, and we all recognize that. Yeah, I think it might he might be in one of those trying too hard situations. That you know, people ask, is it the con? Did he stop playing because he made his money? You know, of course not. No, A lot no. of guys start trying too hard in yeah. those situations, and that's never good in baseball. No, Chris. Honestly, he is—he's a great teammate. He's beloved by his teammates, and and he, yeah. I mean, yeah. That anyone who would bring up the idea that Chris—that he's—that is not him at all. Uh, yeah. I mean, has there ever been a player like? That? I'm sure there has. It's just not Chris Davis. Yeah. No, it's the opposite. And, it's the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think he. Yeah. Uh, if anything, I think he. Yeah. I think he. He feels the burden of not living up to what he knows he's capable of doing, and you know, because he's a great teammate, and his teammates love him. And that's why it's harder, you know, so every once in a while you have a guy that, you know, isn't beloved by his teammates and, you know, whatever, but that's, Chris, that's not the case. He's, he, he is a beloved character in that clubhouse. And he, as you know, you've been around him. He's, he's a quiet, quiet guy in the clubhouse. And uh, he's not, you know, he doesn't say a lot when he does. It's usually pretty important. And, and he's an and he's easy, easy person to like. And, uh, but yeah, if we got those 47 homers again, that would make us even that much better, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um well, you you are going into the trade deadline here. Um, about a week left before the trade deadline. Are you? Do you get an impression yet? Even can you with the expanded playoffs? If if teams are trying to figure out still whether they're in it, whether they're out it out of it, are, will there even be players available to acquire with such a big playoff field? You know, you almost you you every every one of your thoughts right there. You hit it right in the head. The same thing. We don't know who's available, who's moving players, who's not because you know there's very few teams that don't have a you know if you know with a few wins aren't right in it and, and you know my our good friend both of our good friends Farhan's over there with the Giants right now you know they had a tough weekend when we played them and then here we are basically a week later and they're in the eighth playoff spot so there, there's a lot of teams that you sort of may look at oh well they're not in it you know they don't but they think they've got a shot and they're a few wins away and that's actually true and I know a few teams that we've called, you know, you try and be respectful because when you call on a player, uh, you know, the, the other team, you, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be telling them like, Hey, you're not in it. So we want your players. It's kind of, a, kind of, you know, see, so I'd be very respectful. And there's just very few teams that you can say like, there's like, you know, there's no chance they're going to make it. So uh, you don't know to your point, you don't know who's going to be available. We certainly have guys that we would think would be good fits for us, uh, but their availability is still unknown. And I think this is going to be one of those deadlines where all the activity really happens in the last 24 hours, 36 hours, uh, uh, as opposed to like having, you know, trades say happen through the week. I, I'd be surprised. This, again, this, this, all of this stuff's unique uh, to this year, so we don't really know. But I, I, I think any trades you see will happen pretty much very late and on the last day when teams have to decide whether they're going to have a realistic chance or not. But right now, I I think most teams are still going to have some sort of shot come 
come Sunday, Monday. So I, it's unclear to me how active uh, everyone's going to be. You guys tend to target pitching during this time of year when you have a team that's in it. Um, I suspect that that is the case. Again, given how good your bullpen is, I would, again, kind of posit that maybe it's starters that you're mostly looking at. I think either or and either or and you know would be the answer to that but but to be you know to uh, to answer we yeah I think pitchings are focused right now uh, and that's the uh, you know when we look at guys we think might be available it's you know starter and or reliever and so uh, I think listen anytime no matter how good your pitching staff is I don't think there's a team out there during a trade deadline that's you know in the playoff hunt that doesn't always say, hey, we could use another bullpen arm. And that would be the case with us. Even though our bullpen's very good, it'd be nice to have another one. And uh, it would also be nice to, you know, have another, you know, very, very capable starter. Uh, because, you know, you're always one or two starters, you know, g- getting injured from being in big, big trouble. And this is the one time you can you can kind of address or create some depth for yourself at minimum, uh, if not make a, a major improvement. So we'll, you know, I, I would say those are the two spots that we're going to be uh, looking at the, the hardest. Uh, how, how Can you even get a sense of what the off-season market is going to look like free agent-wise? Fans, of course, always want to know if you can sign some of your own guys long-term, say the immediate pressing guy like Marcus Simeon, or maybe we talked about Canna, who's another local guy who uh, is playing well and might be somebody that you can consider. And of course, the mats at the corners, uh, you always tie the ballpark into that. But um, with with the pandemic, things have kind of slowed down on the ballparks uh, front. I think the the free agent market looks like a, a very much of an unknown at this point, given baseball's finances. Can you even hazard a guess what things might look like in the off season when it comes to things like extensions? Yeah, well, the good thing about answering this question, Susan, I, there's there's I'm, there's no coin. Is coyness a word? But I'm not being coy at all. For once, and, yeah, yeah. No, there's no nimbleness to my response to you. <laughs> I have no idea, <laughs> and I mean that with just absolute total honesty. All those questions are fair questions, and literally have no idea. We don't. In some sense, we almost have to ask ourselves, "What are the rules going to be?" Because you know, when we start the season, you know, we have arbitration guys, and what is the criteria for guys in a sixty-game season going to arbitration? How do we? You know, how's an arbitrator going to view a guy that said, you know, say you play 60 games, and if you assume that's, you know, whether that's, you know, a third of the season or, or you know, um, that would be 180 games or almost, a th- yeah, a little more than a third of the season. How's an arbitrator going to view that salary as it, you know, so how do you project their salary? You know, you talk about guys like Canna, you talk about Chapman, you talk about Olsen, you know, predicting their salaries is a challenge now and what their salary is going to be if you use the arbitration process as a guy not notwithstanding if you signed them that then impacts you know how much you're going to have to spend on everything else so again going back to what i said we have no idea mainly because like the rest of the country we don't you know we're not sure where everything's headed here as it relates to fans as it relates to revenues I will say this, and one of the exercises we're we're just starting now, we're gonna we're gonna have to start going through different scenarios. You know, uh, right now we're in a scenario where we have no fans. We're playing a 60 game season, and obviously revenues are taking a huge hit. And then we have to sort of look at, all right, what if there's 25 percent fan next year? What if there's you know 50 percent? And those are all scenarios we're going to run through as it applies to what we think we can spend, because. It's just, again, you know, you, you ask a question that's impossible to answer, yeah. and we, we, we don't know, and we're just, 
you know, each month there seems to be, I guess I would say there's a little more optimism as it relates to, you know, the, the word vaccine has been said more in baseball mm-hmm. clubhouses this year than it's ever been said before. <laughs> You know, and the you know the latest word a fourth quarter FDA approved vaccine, second quarter possibility where you would have you know, uh, I guess the term herd immunity was a possibility. So if you're looking between fourth quarter, second quarter next year, you get some sort. At least you're starting to get some bookend as to when you might get returned to some normalcy. And for us, normalcy is having a lot of you know a lot of fans in the stands and all the ballparks. And you know we're just trying to predict when that's going to happen and when we can do that. And everything else falls into place. So I have no idea, Susan. Yeah. <laughs> that's my, well, that's it, my long, short answer. Yeah, in a normal year, I would have imagined that maybe Simeon would at least be a, a candidate for a qualifying offer after the season. Yeah. But who who knows what the qualifying offer, I mean, the qualifying offer should be the same, which is 17 to 18 million. But if, if the free agent market is completely skewed, potentially he could come back for much less than that if if uh, things look weird i don't who knows yeah. um you guys will have yeah. some interesting decisions to no make. i agreed yeah and it, it, yeah obviously mark's the first guy that comes to mind we have a number of guys you know uh who are who are potentially free agents so uh but so yeah and again you know as i always you know i can't predict where the free agent market's going to go up or down it's all i know is it's going to happen right mm-hmm. and you know, you, you, you know, uh, Indian guy like Marcus, uh, who's such an important part of our team, not just for, on the field, but also in the clubhouse and, and, and what he means. And he, as you said, he's a local guy in so many ways, not just a Cal guy, but a kid who grew up here. Uh, so, but yeah, again, the, the tough thing is we don't have any idea how we answer that question or the five, six right behind him. And, and, you know, right now we just kick the can down the road and hopefully get more information as to you get some idea on the projection of revenues. And that's all going to be dependent on, you know, fans in the stands, to be quite honest. Yeah. Uh, last question here. Um, it's a strange season. We all understand that. I think people are going to look back and, and say, I mean, I, there, there really are no asterisks in baseball record books. I think people will look back and go 2020. Everyone remembers what happened that year. Do you see a champion coming out of this season being considered a legitimate champion Ken Korak has argued in many ways this year is going to be harder than most seasons for teams to get through uh, and uh, you know should you guys go all the way how do you think you would be viewed uh, uh, well it'd be a nice uh, 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 listen I hope we get to uh, we, we hope we get to defend that crown you know verbally or in, in many ways uh yeah, you know what's interesting in a short season like this, like we, I think we felt like we had a good team coming in, and the better the team, the more uh, the more games you want, so that you know it's uh, you you want predictability. What you don't want is a randomness to exist with, with the playoffs. And the great thing about baseball is, by and large, the best teams usually get the playoffs. You know, Cinderellas you know usually fade out. Uh, you can't be a Cinderella for 162 games. So for us, you know, the shortened season with a good team was really was is riskier it's it's you know and the thing that's tough is when you get to the you will let me answer your question listen I, I again i don't we've never had a season like this i don't think any you know champion should feel any less worthy than the previous ones quite frankly it's it's pretty it's a little harder uh because you take a club like the dodgers who listen i happen to personally think you know, based on what I've seen, look like the best team in baseball. I think we, you know, we got one of the best too. But I, the Dodgers, I sit there and I go, they're they're a really impressive team. And but their worst nightmare is they may have to play a team that's under 500 in a in a best of three. Right. And and so that's really 
I mean, again, for a great team, that's your worst. That's that's you don't want that, you know, because you know you could listen. You could find, uh, you know, well, listen. Let me put it this way: if you're if you're the Dodgers, you're facing say Cueto and Gosman the way they're throwing right now. If the playoffs lined up the way they were against a longtime rival, that's that's a that's a tough matchup. Yeah. And and so uh, so if a club, I'll, I'll use the Dodgers as an example because they're a great team and they've been a great team for a long years. For them to get through the gauntlet of playoff series that they have to go through and the randomness, and if they end up being the champion, listen, what they deserve it just like anybody else. Again, there's more randomness because the shorter playoff series we're going to have. So it's probably and you know this isn't to defend our club or anything else, but it's likely it's more likely that the best team won't necessarily win in that scenario than it would be when you have a longer playoff situation. I mean, it's dynasties are tougher because there's more playoff series you got to get through. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's why you don't, you know, when we used to have just an American League champion and National League champion, they play in the World Series, well, you know, that's, you're going to get the outcomes. Uh, that's a different outcome than having to get through a, you know, wild card game, a best of, you know, best of five. That's, 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 Good teams don't want that, and so uh, so. But if you get through the gauntlet of uh, playoff series that you have to go through, and you know what, I, in some sense it'll be different. But they're, they're, I think they're no they're no less worthy of being the, the champions. Interesting. Well, hope, hopefully we're having this conversation again in October. That would be that'd be a lot of fun. Billy Bean, it, thanks it, thanks as always for joining yeah, well, us on Ace Plus. Well, Susan, if someone makes it through the length of this podcast, congratulations, because I've spoken <laughs> way too much. So. That is an accomplishment, yes. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, Susan, and we'll cross our fingers for the rest of the year. Sounds great. Thanks, Billy. Our thanks again to Billy Bean for joining us on A's Plus. Our producer today was King Kaufman. We'll be back again later in the week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.